Welcome once again to Bible Idiots, the platform for the teaching of my husband, Pastor Chris Danielson. Today, he's taking us to 1 Samuel chapter 27, and he's going to start in verses 1 through 12. Now, he's looking into the life of David and how even though he had the promises of God and the reassurances of God, um, smart people can make stupid choices. What's the impact and what's the hope that we have in Jesus? But we're going to start with Clayton Bretty bringing us that scripture, 1 Samuel 27, verses 1 through 12. I look forward to Sunday morning. It's always, to me, it's like a taste of heaven. You know, one of the things we look forward to is our, our eternal life with Jesus in heaven and fellowshipping with each other. And this time of just listening to God's word and conversing with one another uh, is always something to look forward to. Uh, I'd like to have you go ahead and stand for the Word of God today. We'll be reading from 1 Samuel 27, verses 1 through 12. It's about David. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the six hundred men who were with him, to Ashish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Ashish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Ashish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Ashish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amicalites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, who would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Ashish. When Ashish asked, Where have you made a raid today? David would say, Against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremelites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Asha trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people, Israel. Therefore he shall always be my servant." Word of the Lord. Thank you. Great job. So, using the baptism uh, drying off as cover, I asked if someone else would read the scripture today. That was a tough read. <laughs> Good job, Clayton. This is incredibly important. And when you take a first glance at that and you see those hard to pronounce names and those hard to pronounce places, 
it may not come across to you exactly what's going on here, but I want you to know that the title of the message is, is really clear. Stupid Choices from Smart People. So as we get started today, I want you to do this. I want you to place yourself in David Sandals for just a moment, okay, before we get going. You were told as a teenager that you were going to be the next king of Israel. Samuel, the old man of God, came and anointed you for that office. The next thing you know, you're in the royal palace, you're playing and singing for the king. Then like a whirlwind, one activity after another took place in your life that brought you to national prominence. You killed Goliath with a single stone thrown from your sling. You were promoted in the army and made captain over a thousand men. You married the king's daughter. You're best friends with the king's son. It seemed that every event in your life was bringing you closer to the day when you would step up and claim the throne of the land as your own. That's the progression. Then things began to happen. Cracks began to appear in the perfectly constructed life that you have now enjoyed so much. You fell out of favor with the king. He even tried to kill you. Your relationship with your wife came to an end. You can no longer fellowship with Jonathan, your best friend in all of life. You were demoted and lost your position in the army. And the next thing you know, you're a fugitive running for your very life from an insane king who is determined to kill you. Yet even as you run from your enemy, you continue to carry yourself well. Don't miss that part. You spared the life of the king, right in the chapter just before this, you spared the life of the king himself. He's right there in your hands. You had the opportunity to kill him, was literally handed to you. Some would say almost divinely, and yet you knew that the divine way was not to kill him. So you show compassion when dealing with others you could have destroyed out of hand. You even continue to seek God's direction for your life, believing that someday his promises for your life will be fulfilled. Then one day, something changes. You awake as usual, but somehow the world is different today. For the first time, it looks like God may have forgotten all about you. It looks like your enemies will eventually prevail. So you become discouraged, disillusioned, and find yourself trapped in the pit of hopelessness. And while you are in this state of despair, you make a foolish decision that alters the course of your life, brings you trouble that you can never imagine, and leaves you spiritually broken. Now, that in a nutshell is the life of David up to this point. David was on the fast track to the kingdom. Now he's a fugitive on the run. Our text finds David hunted, hounded, and haunted. Another scholar who likes to make everything come out with the same letters said, he is defeated, discouraged, and depressed. Then he and Saul have a shouting match from across the valley between the cliffs and the caves. Sounded like an understanding was reached. Yet the defeated condition of David was not renewed. Don't miss that either. If anything, this understanding with Saul actually doubled down on the exhaustion and true sorrow surrounding this awful situation. So while David's in that condition, he makes a foolish decision that will produce some very serious consequences in his life. See, listen now. David decided to give up on God's plan for his life. 
He decided that somehow God must have forgotten about him. He decided that God's plan for his life had, in fact, failed. David took everything about his life into his own hands, and he began to live for himself as he wanted to live. So as I think about this stage of David's life, I see in him a portrait of many moments in my own life and in the lives of believers I have met and counseled and worked with and prayed alongside over the years. See, David pictures people who have been saved by the grace of God, who began their walk with God very well, but somewhere along the way, things didn't go as they had envisioned, and they became defeated, disillusioned, and discouraged. That's why we come to church on Sunday. I have not found anyone recently that is not going through something. The enemy's on full blast right now. So I'm sharing this message with you in part so that you can be strengthened. See, because when we are in our weakened spiritual condition, we can make terrible decisions that have terrible consequences in our lives. Instead of staying close to the Lord and following his will for our lives, they chose to walk away from God and live, live life at a minimum of compromise. They make a tragic decision and then they pay a high price. So today I want to share on the thought, stupid choices from smart people. And we're going to take David's life and point out where we might be going wrong in some of the decisions we make what we can expect when we make those decisions, and how can we pick up the pieces and move on with God once we've made a stupid decision. So I got three observations for you, and in these three observations, um, we're going to break all that down. Let's start with point number one. Let's talk about why the stupid choice. Why the stupid choice? At the start of our chapter today, David is pictured as having a conversation with himself. Instead of turning to God in prayer as he had so often done, David turns to himself for counsel. And the advice he receives is anything but wise. See, the wrong counsel was David talking to his own heart. And David was talking to his own heart in fatigue, in defeat, and in the flesh. And if you notice, immediately he forgot all the great promises of the Lord had made to him. See, God had promised David that he would be king. For those of you taking notes, that's in 1 Samuel 16, 1, and verses 12 and 13 of chapter 16. The promise had been confirmed by Jonathan. That's in 1 Samuel 23, 17. Again, by Abigail, 1 Samuel 25, 30, 31, and even by Saul in 1 Samuel 24, 20. Yet all these great promises are forgotten when David begins to listen to his own heart and his flesh nature. David even thinks that he knows what will happen out there in the future. He should have known that God is a sovereign God who is in total control of all things past, present, and future. His psalms written by his own hand testify to that. So now David is reaching wrong conclusions because David listened to his heart. He chose to abandon the path of God placed on him years before, and he decided that he would be better off fleeing to the land of the Philistines where he thought he would be safe from King Saul. Imagine this now. The future king of Israel running to the arch enemies of God and begging for help. That's the kind of trouble David's heart got him into. 
Beware of trusting your own heart. When we consult the heart, we get in touch with our human nature. Our old human nature is fallen, and we we'll always look at things from an earthly level. I won't have the scripture on the screen, but if you want to see how that plays out in your life, look up Galatians 5, 19 through 21 later. That'll tell you all about what your heart flesh wants to do. Look, when people say, well, I feel it in my heart, they're usually headed for trouble. That is why the Bible cautions us, cautions us against trusting our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. I just want to follow my heart. Ecclesiastes 9.3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Mark 7.21-22. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Oh, happy day. So what can we do? What can we do? Well, when you think and talk to yourself, be sure to talk to yourself about the things of God. Ephesians 5, 19 and 20 says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were just singing incredible praises to God out of that heart flow. Philippians 4, 8 says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Lay down your heart call next to Scripture. That's how... When you are looking inside in your spirit field, the spirit is guiding you. How do you know it's the spirit? How do you test the spirit? You lay it down next to God's word. Well, I don't know if I can trust God's word. Everybody says it was... No, the Bible is true. Word for word, cover to cover. It's our final authority in our life. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. It, it's so amazing. You can't exhaust it. So when someone says to you, just listen to what your heart is telling you, they have given you advice that can lead to spiritual wreck and ruin if you're foolish enough to follow it. See, your heart will say things like, well, that, that church is dead. Those people don't like you. God is being unfair to you. You'd be better off if you stayed home or went somewhere else. The pastor is mean. That's my favorite one. You're really missing out. There's nothing wrong with living it up a little every now and then. God doesn't even care about you. If he did, these things would not be happening to you. I thought Jesus loved you. What's up? Hey, just once won't hurt. Ah, just a little bit won't matter. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Your heart will trick you. 
It'll deceive you. It'll lie to you. It'll lead you down the wrong path of life. If you listen to your heart, you will find yourself where David found himself, out of God's will, out of God's place for his life, and out of God's fellowship. If you listen to your heart, you will find yourself living a life of spiritual compromise, and you will find yourself on the outs with God. That's a fact, Jack. David made the wrong decisions because he listened to his heart and it led him astray. So be careful, my friends. Some are heading in the same direction. And when I say that, I say that from a perspective of I, I do this too. So let's take a minute, since we all do this, and let's look at point number two, the outcome of the stupid choice. The outcome of the stupid choice. The great Ron Bull, he is a uh, 40-year pastor in Kansas, but you know what he did before that? He was in like these acid-tripping bands in the late 60s and 70s. He's in the Kansas Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And yet he's been a pastor for over 40 years. Now he's in more of church leadership, but that's a different story. He, he coined the phrase, sin splatters. See, people in David's life were affected. That's part of the outcome. Because of the foolish decision David made, everyone whose life touched that of David was affected as well. All 600 of his men and their families, his own wives and children, everyone around David was brought down by his decisions. All those people were brought into a place of compromise, temptation, because one man listened to his heart instead of listening to the Lord. Romans 14, 7 says this, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. This basically means that everything we do in our life touches those around us. When a husband or wife steps out of God's will, it affects the marriage. When one or both parents refuse to live by God's standard, it has an impact on the children. People at school, at work, and at church are touched by the way we live our lives. That's a fact. We never know who is watching or who might be hindered when we give in to the advice of the heart and then choose to walk away from God in that moment. But remember, there is a price to pay for touching others in a negative manner. Luke 17, 1 and 2 says this, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. You know what? I'm just gonna meet this person for a coffee just as friends. Hey, just an hour at the casino. Your buddy says, ah, nah, probably not a good idea. You say, ah, oh, come on, just a quick stop. A month later, you're talking to your buddy's sponsor from Gamblers Anonymous on the phone. Follow? Or the phrase, if you hear this phrase, you need to wake up. No one has to know. See, the pattern of David's life was affected, but not only did David's decision affect the people around him, the very way David lived, his life was then altered going forward. In verses 5 through 12 of our text, look at some of the things the Bible reveals about this tragic time in David's life. In verse 4, David lived with a false sense of security. He thought he was safe. In verse 5, David sought the help and ran with the wrong crowd. He literally aligned himself with the enemy of God. And in 12, 8 through 12, David did things that we never would have done before. David never would have done things like this. He murdered, he lied, 
He submitted himself to the enemy of God. The whole fabric of David's life was altered by the decisions he made in that one counsel with his heart. And in verse 7, David stayed there for 16 months. And I'm sure that that was longer than he intended to be there. Now, it's also worthy to note that David wrote a lot of psalms before this and after this, but there is not one psalm recorded from David during this time. Coincidence? I think not. Seems like the sweet singer of Israel had lost his voice. See, when a believer makes that fatal decision to walk away from the Lord and their place of blessing, their life will be affected in a negative way. Like the prodigal, they will live in a false sense of security, but the backslider is never out of the view of the Lord, nor is he too far away to avoid chastisement. God will still discipline his own, even if you try to live in the far country. The one who walks away will find out they are soon doing things they would have never done before, and that they are doing them with a crowd they would have never run with before. They will find that their entire life has been changed, and they will look around and find that months and even years have passed while they were still languishing in the far country. For those of you who don't know, far country comes from the prodigal son story in Luke 15. They will also find that their song has departed and that their joy has dried up. Man, when your song departs and your joy dries up, that's a rotten place to be for a believer. You cannot walk away from God and go off into sin and not be affected. If walking away from the Lord does not alter your life, then I would venture to say you're one of those who probably had a false conversion. You probably tried to add Jesus to what you had going on and you were never really his and you are a portrait of Matthew 7, 21 through 24. See, the peace of David's life was affected and it will be for every believer in Jesus Christ who walks away. Someone said this quote, I wish, I would so wish that Claire would address it to me and put it on Facebook in those great memes, but she can't because I didn't say this one, and I don't know who did. But listen to it. It's awesome. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. We are seeing the truth of that fleshed out in David's life right here for us to see. In this passage, David has fallen about as far as a dude can go. He is out of God's will, he's off God's path, and actively working with the enemy against the people of God. But thankfully, David was not having a good time. You see, his sin affected the people in his life and affected the pattern of his life, but it also affected the peace of his life. David had lost his identity. He unites himself with the Philistines and goes to do battle with his own people. That's in chapter 29, verses 1 through 5. You've got to keep going with this story, guys. After the service this afternoon, when everything calms down, you're going to open your Bible tonight, read all the way through chapter 30. I'm going to cover some of it right now, but it's better if you read it yourself. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 29, David's lost his identity. He unites himself with the Philistines to go to battle with his own people. Even the Philistines don't want him around. They basically think he's going to double-cross him, so they want him gone. So now he's become an offense to them as well. This is literally a man with no country at this point. Verses 6 through 8 of chapter 29, David reveals the depth to which he has fallen. The future king of Israel in that passage, you'll read that he's groveling at the pagan king's feet and declares himself to be the king's servant. He even says that the enemies of King Asius are David's enemies. 
9 through 11 of 29, David is declared to be a faithful servant by Asius. 30, 1 through 5, David finally reaps the harvest of the wickedness of his own sown seed. He loses far more than he could have ever imagined. The Amalekites retaliate against David and his men for their early actions in our text today from 27, 8 through 11, and their families are taken captive and their city is burned to the ground. But now think about this. Those pagans showed more grace and mercy than David, the man, had, man of God had shown to his enemies. Remember David murdered everybody? In chapter 30, verse 6, David finally reaches the bottom. His men turn on him and threaten to kill him. They rightly realize that all of these tragedies are a result of David's foolish decision. His sin has taken everything away from them. What a frightening portrait of the power of potential of sin in our life. You and I may walk away from the Lord and go our own way, but we will not do so without paying a terribly high price. What will it cost you, my friend? If the sin you are about to walk away from God to commit worth the price you are going to pay, straight up, somebody's got to ask you, might as well be me. Is it worth your spouse? That sin you're about to commit, is it worth your children? Is it worth your ministry? And every believer in Jesus Christ has a ministry. And if you don't, you need to seek it because it's there for you. And it may not even be in this church building, but you will know when God's calling you to a ministry. And whatever that is, you will squander, possibly, for this sin that you're walking away from God for. What about your good name? Is it worth your power with God, the power of God over your life when that peace that passes all understanding, you throttle that? What about your health? Is it worth your life? We've got to stop this merging together of sin and righteousness as if it's okay, I'm okay, you're okay. Let's not think for one second we can walk away from the Lord and do so without consequences. He doesn't roll that way. His word says so, and so does the evidence all around us. There will be a price to pay, and God will have no trouble collecting that price in our lives. Expect the Lord to drop a huge dime on you. The message is clear in Scripture. Numbers 32, 23 says this. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Proverbs 13, 15. I like the New Living Translation best, so I threw that up there. A person with good sense is respected. A treacherous person is headed for destruction. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away. Sometimes you actually see evil prosper, and that bums me out to my core, but it happens, but it won't last. Elsewhere in scriptures, it says sin may be pleasurable for a season, but it always comes home to roost. You want an example of that? There's one that everybody knows. Party on Friday night, big hangover on Saturday. Get it? It seems like First of all, if I'm going to go to this point, I've got to go the whole way. I am not anti-alcohol. Many of you know that I love French wine. And on a golf course, if I'm playing golf with my brother, I'll have a cold beer. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about excess. I'm talking about going too far. And then you wake up with a hangover the next day. Very similar to some of the things we use in our life. Let that be an example to you. Not everything that the legalistic crowd says is completely bad for you. 
But there is a time where you jump the shark. There is a time where you go too far. And the hangover on some of these sins, I see cost ministries, cost marriages, cost lives. Relationships are shattered forever. We live in the most pornified, sexualized nation in the world that it has ever seen. And I would say even going back to Noah's day, it's everywhere. So before you make a foolish decision and walk away from the Lord, consider the price you might have to pay. Let's go to the last point. Really hard to get to this point because this is where I want to be. This is where every pastor wants to be. Restored from the stupid choice. Let's get to the good news. I just laid the bummer train on you for 20 minutes. Let's get to the good news. Thank God the story doesn't end there, huh? I'm glad that we get to witness David's recovery from his sin as well. See, David repented and returned to the Lord. When David finally hits bottom, you can look at it in chapter 30, verse 6, second half of verse 6. He hits bottom and he's lost all that a man can lose. And at long last, David looks towards heaven again. Perhaps, maybe, I don't know, it's possible He realized as he looked at the broken lives and shattered all around him that everything that had happened was a result of that one foolish conversation he had with his own heart, followed by one incredibly stupid decision on his part. David turned his focus heavenward once again in humble repentance. Chapter 30, verse 7, now David does what he should have done at the beginning of this episode of life. David calls on the Lord in prayer to seek God's will and God's help. David is back in a place where he can rely on the Lord once again. David has returned to the Lord. When David hears the Lord's direction for his life, he does not hesitate but goes out immediately to do what the Lord has told him to do. And he's not walking in David's will any longer. He is back in God's will, walking God's path once again. David has been fully restored. This is why when we see smart people making stupid choices, we have to have the door of grace open for them. And that's hard sometimes, but that's what God calls us to do. And I'd rather do what God wants me to do than following my heart. See, most of what we've learned from David has been a lesson in what a person should not do. But now in this last passage, David clearly shows us what we are supposed to do when we have allowed ourselves to walk away from the Lord. The first step in getting things together is getting with repentance. We need to get before the Lord and deal honestly with our sin. When sin is confessed and handled God's way, he will forgive that sin and restore the fallen saint. I always joke with you guys that, you know, we, you know, hey, losers, hey, sinners, but we're all saints. We never forget where we came from. I've never been in a high-end restaurant with white tablecloths and forgot where I came from. You try to order tater tot casserole in there and they look at you weird. But you are saints, my loser sinner friends, those who have turned to the Lord and repented. 1 John 1, 9 says this, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That is a blessing because there is not a saint in this world who does not fall into sin from time to time. 
If you have wandered away from God, you need to know that you can come home today and find complete forgiveness and restoration. Did you notice the Lord's response to the repentance of David? You gotta go to chapter 34, and we, didn't, we couldn't read three chapters today in, in church. David's been out of God's will for 16 months. Then he falls down before the Lord and deals with his sin. Do you hear God say, I'm sorry, David, but you have crossed the line. I found someone else to be the new king. Did God say to him, oh, I'm gonna give you three months probation, and if you, you do all right, then we'll talk about restoration. Did God say, well, I'll forgive you, but things can never be the same between us again. No. God does none of those things. When David calls out from the right spirit, the Lord instantly forgives, restores, and communicates with David. God's answer is swift, it's sure, and it's accurate. Take hope, my fallen friend. What a blessing. There is an earthly price to pay for sins we commit. That's also in the Bible. Galatians 6, 7. Don't be misled. Oh, there's misleading going on all over the place, isn't there? Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Another way to say that is you will reap what you sow. But when God forgives, he forgives immediately, completely, and eternally. Some people in this room need to experience that kind of grace today in your life. Some people watching online or listening to the podcast, you need to make that decision right now. Regardless of how smart we may be, regardless of how long we may have been saved, regardless of how high we may climb the spiritual ladder, we're still capable of making foolish decisions. Some folks in this room, in our community, are in the process of doing that very thing today. There's people in your life, Facebook friends, relatives, that are making that same mistake this very day. If you have been listening to your heart, and it's telling you lies, I suggest that you get to God and hear some truth before it's too late. Others have already been, begun the process of walking a path that is far different from the one God set your feet on when he saved you. And you know I speak truth. Sorry. I would suggest you get back before the price gets higher than you want to pay. Still others are watching your world start to come apart all because some foolish decision you made along the way. Some things may have to play out in your life, but you can still have fellowship with the Lord and be restored today. There are probably some others who have never, ever been saved that are listening to this in some way, shape, or form. Friend, you are headed for the rudest waking of all if you don't know Jesus. If you will come to Jesus, he will save you, forgive you, and give you eternal life. Then he will set you on a path. And in that path, as you're going forward, you, you will wobble. You're getting shot at every day by our enemy. So you'll duck a little. You'll shake. You'll shimmy. And before you know it, you can consult your, your heart and get way off the path. So I know there are needs today, and I hope you have the courage to get into the presence of the Lord. And get them taken care of. Listen to his voice, not your own heart. And then do what God says to do. In summary, when you're checking with your heart, lay it down next to scripture so that you know you're checking with the Holy Spirit living within you. If not, if it doesn't line up with scripture, 
That's what's happening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and love you and praise you. We thank you for forgiveness and restoration when we've made bad choices. We thank you that your long arm of grace and mercy is so huge we can't send our way out of your grace. And Lord, for those of us who know you, we're as close as we're ever going to be, and now it's just a matter of how deep do we want to go. And Lord, I need your help to keep my feet on the right path, as do all of us. Let us get stronger for such a time as this. Let us celebrate you each and every day in our life. And out of good old-fashioned gratitude, let us be obedient to the word, even if it costs us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at freshroadmedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener supported and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.